therapist. In this hour, I have the privilege, folks, of speaking to a a leader, not only in business, but in other social spaces. A man who's been quiet, quietly just getting successful, (laughs) just quietly doing the success thing. And uh, we've been privileged to uh, be able to invite him just to come and tell us his life story and what are some of the principles that have brought about his success. His name is Sandy Lezung, and uh, he is uh, he is the executive chairperson of Zungu Investment Company uh, and also the chancellor at Mangosutu University of Technology. Many of you might know him as the owner of uh, the uh, team, the football team Amazulu. Uh, he joins me now on the line. Mr. Zungu, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Uh, good evening, Aubrey. Uh, good evening to your listeners. And thank you so much for having me here. And uh, before I get on with it, um, I'm really sorry for your misfortune of last week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know, but I hope you are you are. You are uh, fully recovered. No, I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm good, Mr. Zungu. Thank you so much uh, for for those kind words. You you have been involved in business for as long as I suppose uh, many of us have been aware of black entrepreneurs who have been steadily uh, growing their roots in the business. Uh, fraternity post-apartheid. Uh, many of us uh, have seen you do many different things. You've been involved in many different uh, business ventures. When does the business um, bug bite you? Uh, when do you decide that this is going to be one, at least one of your life's missions, and that is to be a leader in the business space? Well, um, entrepreneurship as an endeavor uh, was triggered by the experience selling uh, what is called petroleum jelly um, in the township of Umlazi. Um My mom used to be a nurse at a local polyclinic and my father worked for engine refinery at the time it was called Mobile. Yes. Um, and they will, he will bring condemned drums of uh, petroleum jelly, um, which will not have been sold to the likes of Unilever for conversion into Vaseline. Yes. Uh, and my mom will, will come with decanted um, packaging material uh, for, for bulk uh, uh, call it, uh, tablets. And um, ours will be to clean them up, uh, dry them, and then you know, uh, load them with uh, this petroleum jelly and go around in the township selling them to elderly fellows in particular. Um, and with that very rudimentary, you know, entrepreneurial experience, I learned to close deals. I learned to uh, sell, uh, to, to effect sales. I also learned about writing off bad debts. And it was to stand me in good stead probably 20 years later. Uh, once I'd completed my degree, once I'd worked as an engineer for six years. Uh, and I decided, actually, it's about time I went back to the trenches and ran my own businesses. Um, and um, here I am. You know, my, my the wish always was to to make a positive change in our society um, and in particular to to effect uh, positive the lives uh, of our people um, and I believed that um, you know uh, offering them employment opportunities assisting them with their own development would be a, an area of comfort for me, um, you know, which was complementing my childhood mm-hmm. desire to become a teacher. Yeah, um, you wanted so to be a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher. And sure. um, the, reason, the reason why I wanted to be a teacher was I felt our people needed enlightenment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and knowledge was always going to be power. And I saw myself as an agent. Um, so entrepreneurship um, and that uh, childhood wish, uh, I've always seen them as uh, you know, aligned, congruent, and uh, mutually reinforcing. Um, and so I'm in a very comfortable space now where I'm creating wealth um, you know, for, uh, for my family, uh, but I'm also you know, participating in societal development and um, where the causes in the area of education uh, are always going to be my soft spot. I want to talk a little bit about what you said there about at some point after your stint in the engineering space for six years, uh, after the other projects that you were involved with, you decided to go back into the trenches of, of real business activity. And, and I want to sort of juxtapose that to the time in which you were emerging as a really serious force to be reckoned with in the business area but a time where business was generally uh, associated with tenders, tenderpreneurship and all of those kinds of things. And you decided to, to go into the trenches, the uh, say, selling of things, the, where we, whereas many other business people during that time had risen meteorically uh, not because of trench work, but rather because of connections and that sort of thing. Uh, why didn't you go the tenderpreneur route? You were a young man, you were a black man, at a time where um, it would have been easier for you to simply be a tenderpreneur. Uh, that's a very good question, um, Aubrey, because you know, in my various leadership positions, especially black business. I've spent quite um, a disproportionate amount of time um, trying... Mr. Zungo, are you there? It uh, looks like we're losing Mr. Zungo. Uh, my guest is Sandy Lezungu. He is a serial entrepreneur, but he is also the uh, uh, the chancellor at Mangosutu University. He's also chairperson of Zico Investments. Uh, we're talking about his life and times. The question that I put to him is that he had decided to go into into hardcore real business when I suppose at that time it would have been easier for him to, like many of his contemporaries, go into what we would call t- tenderpreneurship. Now, uh, important to underscore that tenderpreneurship is in and of itself not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing to do business with government. It's not a bad thing. It's, there's a specific reason. In fact, it's a good thing. But uh, uh, we also know that there is a side to that kind of business that has... Uh, been soiled by certain un, uh, unethical sort of practices. We'll talk about that with Mr. Sandy Lezung in a few moments' time. Um, I believe we have or have him on the line. Mr. Zungo, there you go. You're back. Uh, you were s- explaining to me as to why it is that you decided to go to the trenches when it when, as I suggest, that it could have been easier for, perhaps for somebody like you to get connected politically and, and then do the tenderpreneurship thing, you went back into, into almost sales uh, in that time of your life. Why? Well, I was saying that um, it's a very interesting question. Uh, first of all, as a leader in black business, I spent quite a disproportionate amount of time uh, arguing uh, that uh, doing business with the state um, was critical for emerging black business um, and therefore you know, categorizing that as <coughs> call it tenderpreneurship um, was was uh, was vulgar um, as it was dissuading people and um and uh, and possibly 
uh, discouraging them from seeing that as a, a, a credible stepping stone. Yeah. Um, it, has, it has stood some uh, young entrepreneurs in good stead uh, doing business with the state and they've emerged and they've grown. Uh, I personally um, didn't choose that path uh, deliberately uh, because, you know, I believed I had a skill. Uh, I believed I had the experience. Uh, having worked for uh, some time as a merchant banker after my MBA, and I believed I had good enough relationships both in the private sector and the public sector. And I found doing business in the private sector um, a lot more uh, safe, a lot more, uh, uh, call it uh, certain. Uh, you knew what you were dealing with. Mm. Um, and and the idea of corruption um, in, 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 in doing business with the private sector uh, was less pronounced. And therefore, uh, you, you, you bid for a contract or you bid for an acquisition. Um, and if uh, you, 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 you qualify, uh, you are assured of getting it. If you do not qualify for whatever reason, whether it's prize or other considerations, uh, you were to sharpen your pencil and wait for the next opportunity. However, in the public sector, uh, a different set of criteria that I always felt very uncomfortable with, uh, that I still feel very uncomfortable with. I've walked away from many opportunities uh, of doing business with the state simply because there are some demands mm. that are, 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 are placed. Mm. And I said, look, I'd rather walk away from this transaction. Uh, I cannot withstand subtle demands uh, that I know in the long term are just going to put me in a very uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so some people are able to, to, to navigate through those uh, uh, hurdles and emerge unscathed. Um, and I, for one, felt, ah, you know, it's just too much trouble. Um, and having said that, once again, as the president of the Black Business Council and as SG of the Black Business Council, I am on record as having said, um, you know, it, it, it's an affront to, uh, to, 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 to the freedom that you enjoy, that when black people do things with the state, they are deemed to be tenderpreneurs. Uh, whereas, for example, if you look at entities like Altron, um, Altec, and whatever else, they emerged from doing business with the state. Uh, during the 1980s or 70s with yeah. apartheid South Africa. Um, and they've emerged to become global giants and highly respected. Um, and no one calls them telepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I, was, I was at pains to say, uh, let's possibly coin the narrative differently. Yeah. Interesting that, as you say, that a, a disproportionate amount of your time was spent to try and change the narrative uh, that it is somehow a lesser respectable venture to go into doing business with government than the route you decided to, to, to go for uh, and that is to work more, not exclusively, but more with the private sector. Uh, I, I must agree with you that uh, the opportunity for black business people uh, who are mostly emerging is in the public sector. But of course, as you know, and as you've already articulated now, that there were certain things uh, that were unethical, that became synonymous with doing business with, uh, with government, uh, that you yourself avoided, that have created the perception that... Uh, uh, that, that, that there is this sector of tenderpreneurs. Uh, so I take your point as far as that is concerned. But the, the issue is, what are we doing about the narrative that has been created by some real moments uh, in business with government that have now vulgarized the process of doing business with government uh, and have tainted people uh, that do business with government with this label uh, tenderpreneurship uh, shouldn't the focus be about cleaning out that kind of unethical behavior so that the the rightful respectability of doing business with government uh, is retained? 
Uh, absolutely. But you know, the, 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 uh, what is called, um, uh, the, the, the vulgarization, uh, of, uh, doing business with the state is not isolated to business. Um, if you remember very well, the infrastructure build, uh, leading up to 2010 World Cup, uh, the building of stadia, uh, and associated infrastructure. There was a lot of corruption there. A lot of corruption, especially what I'll call collusion among large construction companies. Mm. Um, and often than not, when you collude um, unabated, um, it's because there's a counterparty within the system uh, who has got something to gain and he overlooks such tendencies. They only get caught out much later. Uh, so I would call that corruption. Sure. And the biggest, the biggest uh, purveyors uh, of such practices were large-scale uh, white construction companies. Um, you name them. Uh, they were the group fires of this world. Uh, you name them. Um, they had to take accountability and they actually had to settle with the government to pay some money. Uh, they were given a slap on the wrist, effectively. Uh, be that as it may, uh, corruption is endemic in, in the area of interface with the public sector. And it is accepted that uh, in South Africa, if you do things with the state, um, that entire value chain will have takers and uh, there, there will be many opportunities for being compromised. And therefore, upright people uh, tend to want to stay away from it. Uh, sometimes it's entirely unavoidable uh, because, remember, the state is still a major player in, 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 this, in, in South Africa. And, you know, probably they account for as much as 30% of procurement. Um, and um, any business will want to see that as some kind of an opportunity, uh, but you just have to be very careful. Yeah. Uh, by, by, by the way... Um, now, something ought to be done about that because uh, some of the troubles that we're experiencing now being, um, you know, red-lined... Um, and, grey-listed. Uh, the cost, grey-listed and uh, the cost of, of borrowings in South Africa, uh, very high. The cost of doing business is very high. Uh, it, it, it's a sum total of all these factors that actually enhance the risk and therefore make it compelling that whoever does business, especially lending to institutions operating in South Africa, it demands a significant premium, which makes the cost of doing business, therefore, expensive. We need to do something about it because it, it's retarding our economy's mm-hmm. potential mm-hmm. to grow, to lift people out of uh, the dull drums of poverty. I, um, yes. I, 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 want to, I want to talk about the the professionalization of of business many of of us who are in business started out really because it was it was a subsistence endeavor um but part of the reason why you were able to not go the I'm going to use that word again, tenderpreneur route, was because you, you had certain skills, you had certain levels of education and so forth. Does that have anything to do with why what you've just suggested now that needs to be done to change the narrative? Does the fact that we've got so few professional business people, I don't know, I don't know how else to, to, to uh, describe what I'm trying to say, but people that have uh, an approach to business that is other than just subsistence, but rather that is a deliberate systemization of wealth creation. Is that perhaps not part of the reason why we've had some of the difficulties in the relationship that business people have with doing business with, with the state? Um, I, I would, I would, I would say that's a huge challenge 
that we have in South Africa that not enough people um, are real entrepreneurs. Um, and not enough people have the skills um, to can cut it in real uh, business of hard knocks. Uh, that they cannot really produce goods and services that can compete uh, in international markets. Um, and and therefore, everyone wants to play in the local scene. Mm. Um, and um, they want to make money sometimes at all costs. And therefore, are prepared to pay their way into opportunities. Um, it, it's unfortunate. Um, sorry for the noise in the background. No, no, no um, problem. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It, it is unfortunate, and um, and for for me, um, I would say that that's that's a challenge that uh, government faces. How do you how do you ensure that the institutions of higher learning, um, you know, have enough choices for those who want to be entrepreneurs in business? How do you ensure that uh, people don't come out of university with degrees and qualifications that um, are pretty much um, useless in the context of the demand yeah. uh, of, 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 of business um, and, uh, and are not well prepared to face the challenge of wealth creation. It's a huge challenge for government. It's a huge challenge for 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 national planning um and uh, some of us uh were were privileged few uh who deliberately chose you know to break away from engineering um and realized very early that look you know what let me go and do an mba because i think with this qualification i have um i cannot see wood from the trees vis-a-vis um, economics mm. and and business management, and I went out to empower myself. Um, and even then, I went to Harvard University, um, not for the qualifications' sake, but because I wanted to forge international networks. Um, today, if I go to any country, um, in Brussels, uh, uh, city. Uh, or Austria, uh, or even, you know, uh, Amsterdam, uh, I'm bound to have a fellow uh, alumnus uh, that I can say, let me go out for dinner with mm-hmm. and let's compare notes. And here's an opportunity uh, I'm looking for. Can you help me? Um, and, you know, that, 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 that talks to decades of investment yes. in becoming a, a global entrepreneur or a global business uh, person and unfortunately um, the way we have planned for our human capital in South Africa and um, I don't think it's been systemic systematic enough yeah and I don't think it's been scientific and therefore we're trapped in this well pool of uh, being dragged to the lowest common denominator of corruption uh, when it opens with the state uh, of uh, substandard outputs um, that can only really work in a local environment, cannot compete elsewhere. Uh, it's something that we ought to change, and it requires um, intellectual capital and the thought leaders to sit around the table uh, and influence the regime. Can it be done? Of course it can be done. Uh, how long? Even if it takes one generation, uh, it's still worth the effort. Because otherwise, yeah. as a nation state, we are doomed yeah. unless we address the issue. Yeah. Do you think that that effort to try and and formalize or make make more scientific the entrepreneurial process is a governmental responsibility or is it a joint responsibility between government and i suppose the private sector in south africa because i agree with you i think that one of the big challenges is that we need to come out of the subsistence mindset 
uh, into a wealth creation mindset in South African business, particularly amongst us black people. And and I and I think I think you hit the nail on the head there by saying that uh, uh, we didn't do enough to try and develop those skills at a more scientific level. My question is, how do we expedite that process? Do we, in your opinion, as a nation, as a country, understand the, uh, the gravity of the problem in making us understand that business has to be a little bit more deliberate than just subsistence and, and, and nothing wrong with doing business for subsistence sake right nothing wrong at all but it sounds to me like what you're saying that if we are to change gears to become real global players for an economy like ours that is that that is poised to do great things if given the right at um, the right uh, opportunities by giving it people such as yourself do you think we as a country understand the problem adequately enough to be able to put the resources, the efforts, and the urgency behind it uh, as, you, as you describe it? I, I think there's a, a, a general understanding that something ought to be done to move our country from the trajectory uh, it's in. Of course, the trajectory we're in is one that delivers a negative economic growth. Mm. The trajectory we're in is one that... Um, you know, uh, thwarts a young people of an opportunity for employment was not enough jobs have been created. It's the one that uh, forces many people, millions, to be reliant on social grants instead of being income earners who are contributing taxes. Uh, there's a general understanding that, um, you know, we need to beneficiate minerals that we extract from, from beneath the soil. Um, there's a general understanding. In other words, the diagnosis of the problem is, 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 is spot on. Um, even when we look at our peer nations around the world, we know what ought to be done uh, because others are doing it. Now, when people, uh, going back to your original question, um, is it the role of government? When people say, you know, government must do this, uh, I just shake my head in disbelief uh, because I always say, do they have an appreciation of how little talent there is in government? Mm. Um, you know, do they have an appreciation of how um, d- deprived of the real intellectual capital government is mm. right now? Um, because if they did, they will place their faith elsewhere. Uh, they will call on the private sector and the organs of civil society to play a more meaningful role um, to deal with the challenges and to deal with the the implementation of solutions to deal with the negative diagnosis that I spoke about earlier. Mm. Um, When you talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, enhancing state capacity, um, you know, you are not only dealing with... uh, government, you are also dealing with the judiciary, you are dealing with the legislature and various arms of the state. Um, All of them um, have increasingly been weakened. Uh, Now, if we're going to rely on purely the state or government specifically uh, to come up with the solutions, um, trust me, we we will continuously descend Mm. to the lowest Mm. um, bottom. Um, so we have to wake up as Africans and say, you know, there's no point in insulting government, uh, but there's, there's every reason why we should not place our confidence um, in the state coming up with a solution. Why? Because they just do not have capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so where does the redemption come from? Does it come from the private sector? The redemption comes from um, all of society working together with government, uh, private sector, um, basically becoming a lot more assertive. And when we talk about the private sector, again, we always make a mistake that private sector is big business. 
Um, and the, in my opinion, it's a huge mistake because big business does not have propensity to create jobs. Mm. Uh, big business is about um, optimizing, um, you know, uh, its uh, capital structure. It's about optimizing uh, the ratios of uh, uh, output per, cap- per capita or for a pe- for person employed. Um, and when the 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 the, 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 the mineral you know uh, prices in international markets come down, uh, there will be the shedding jobs in their thousands. Uh, they don't wait for ten years. Um, if gold price comes down, or if platinum price comes down, or iron ore or chrome uh, comes down, in in four quarters uh, they'll be announcing plans to. Uh, to to, sure. to 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 retrench. Sure, sure. Um, they are not in the business of creating jobs. Yeah. However, SMMEs, SMMEs, um, by their nature, you know, if uh, if I give you an order to supply me with five drums and you do it from your garage, now if I give you an order to um, to quadruple that to uh, let's say twenty drums, um, you then employ someone from next door. And you move from the garage to a, a space in an industrial zone. So to scale up for those minimum orders, uh, you double and triple employment. Sure. sure. Um, and, 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 and therefore, the, the solution to uh, some of these uh, problems, especially around employment, lies in the state um, believing more in the private, in, 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 in SMEs and giving them the right kind of incentives um, to thrive. Um, and, um, and, and therein lies some of the low-hanging fruits um, in terms of the challenges that we face. But when it comes to um, long-term interventions, uh, universities, institutions of higher learning, have been very critical to the development of, for example, uh, the Silicon Valley. Um, you know, there's a, a symbiotic relationship between the universities yes. um, in, in, in California, for example, uh, with the growth of Silicon Valley. Um, a lot of endowment comes from those uh, institutions in Silicon Valley because they need to do research. Sure. So when, when institutions of higher learning have got a huge role to play. That's why I became very excited uh, to become chancellor of uh, MUT. Um, so... And then, of course, the, 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 the private sector, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. excluded. Yeah. Mm. You touch on a very important point there about the relationship between academia and commerce. Uh, and one of the things that has been said is that there's a serious disjuncture, a serious lack of congruence between what is being taught at institutions of higher learning and what our, our economy needs. So we churn out people that are qualified, uh, credentialized in particular ways, but that, that is not in line with the needs of our economy. You are Chancellor, you are Chancellor of, uh, of MUT at the moment. What is being done to start that alignment process where, where the curriculum, the, the content of what is being taught at universities and uh, TVET colleges mirrors the expertise that are required in our economy. Um, it, 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 it's, a, it's a perfect observation. Um, I think something is being done. Uh, if, if, if you were to raise this question, um, let's say 20 years ago, uh, I will have said you have a crisis. Now, the growth of TVET colleges uh, and the amount of money that has been pumped into that sector um, and the role of CITAS uh, uh, in supporting, you know, uh, uh, you know learning um, on, 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 on jobs and uh, those sectors uh, like the TVET colleges, for example, um, is it, it, a step in the right direction. Um, what you need is some kind of institutionalization of uh, working together between the private sector and 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 and, and, uh, and uh, academic institutions. Uh, 
such that the turnaround in developing curricula um, is much quicker mm. than it is right now. I mean, other in other societies, uh, artificial intelligence is something for high school students yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, for us, we still idolize um, and idealize artificial intelligence. It's something that will, you know, be arrive in our doorsteps 10 years. Hell, we, 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 we're still struggling to define and clarify in our own minds what the fourth industrial uh, revolution is. <laughs> so, uh, that, that is. That is true. Yeah. We, we, we are sometimes very good at um, imbibing yeah. um, concepts without understanding their true meaning, yeah. and let alone uh, without uh, interpreting what needs to be done to yeah. make them real and living uh, experiences. Um, that work for our own development. Um, so, so the institutions of higher learning um, and the interface between the private sector um, and those institutions it becomes very critical. That it doesn't happen only once when the university, the vice chancellor or the principal um, has a stakeholder meeting. It must be ongoing. Uh, there must be an assessment of the curriculum on an ongoing basis. Say, please just stop wasting time. Um, and if you do that, uh, you will save a week in the academic uh, calendar and you can then drill on the subject matter a lot more and maybe uh, bring more practical examples so that when someone has got a qualification, whether it's a diploma or a degree, um, that person is, is battle ready. Um, straight after induction, he can be productive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the private sector needs a quick turnaround uh, from a raw graduate into someone who is very productive. Uh, in other societies, within a year, someone at uh, after graduating, he's promotable because he's added value. Sure. Um, in in our societies, eight years after graduating, after starting to work. Uh, or after going to the, the work environment, uh, a person really cannot even tell what what contribution mm. he or she has made in commerce. Um, he is demanding or she is demanding bonuses. But yeah. uh, if you ask, what have you contributed? No, I I managed to bound um, to to bind the board pack. Uh, I managed to uh, make a suggestion in a staff meeting. Uh, that's not good enough. Sure. You've been paid 100,000 rands a month. What have you contributed? Um, so I think there has got to be a, a change of mindset. Uh, what, it need, what is needed to, to make our human capital very effective and the role of institutions in ensuring that what we're churning um, is, is a, a, a cadership yeah. of effective and employable young people. I think when we do that, then I think we can say we will compete effectively with the likes of India, who are producing engineers in their hundreds of thousands every year. Mr. Zoom, straight after your stint as an engineer, and I suppose you, you were an employee for a company at that time, what, what were your, your business ventures that, that I suppose started to define you more uh, more specifically as an entrepreneur? Um, the, the first opportunity that I can remember, um, I was working as a CEO for Saru Investments, which is a, an investment company of a trade union. Um, we bought Rent-A-Baki. Uh, Rent-A-Baki was part of Rennie's group, which was part of uh, Safran. Um, which ultimately was taken over by Bidvest. Um, this was a, a fleet hire business, the old brand, Rent-A-Bucky. Yeah, I remember Rent-A-Bucky, yeah. That's right. So that was my first acquisition. We got, um, we paid uh, just under 20 million rands for that business. Um, and uh, we borrowed money from Sandam. Uh, and at the back of that uh, acquisition, Sanam also gave me working capital. Um, it, it, it was a milestone acquisition for me. Uh, it set me up. Um, later on, 
when I started Zoom Investments Company, I was now no longer working for Southern Investments. Um, my first acquisition was a cleaning business called the East Konyane Cleaning. Um, I paid 100,000 rands for that. Uh, it was not making much, but I bought that business because uh, the joint venture partner was Supercare. And Supercare was part of Fidelity Services Group, which was more of a, a small conglomerate. Um, and I was very keen on that relationship. And uh, we grew that business. And a few years later, we were asked to become empowerment partners at uh, Supercare. We paid money for it in a leveraged deal. Um, seven years or so later, we sold Supercare to Compass Group, which is now part of Tede. Um, and we made more than 25 times money that wow. we put in. We made a superb return. Um, and, um, you know, I'm very proud of those uh, early uh, day transactions. And everything that I've done thereafter has been, you know, a repetition, has been a fine-tuning of uh, earlier transactions. Uh, of course, scale is different and industry and sector is different as well. But the fundamental learnings have always been the same. You buy right, you sell right, you grow well, and you make a return. Um, and you focus on key aspects, whether something is as a dividend play uh, or something is for later disposal, where you make a capital. Um, and there is I, I, want to, I want to remind you of something. You might not remember this. <laughs> You, you might not remember this, but around about that time, uh, I think around about 2009, you walk into a office furniture company here in Johannesburg looking for furniture for, I think, one of the businesses that you, or an office that you were uh, establishing here at uh, Randburg in Peter Place, or is it Randburg or, or Bryanston? Uh, in, in Bryanston. Yeah, it was in Bryanston. And a, and a young guy walks up to you and he says to you, uh, Sir, you, what, what are you looking for? And you, you're looking for some furniture for your office in, at Peter Place. Uh, I think you were with your brother at the time. And That's that young, right. ah, yes. and that yes, young, and yes. that young man showed you a number of desks and, and chairs yes, and so yes, forth. Yes, yes, Do you yes, remember that yes. young man? Uh, was that Aubrey himself? Yeah, it was Aubrey himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've got to tell you this. I've got to tell you this. Yeah. I, I've, I've been looking for an opportunity to, to remind you. Uh, and, oh, wow. And that was the deal that set me up. Because wow. it was the first time I wow. was able to, to sell uh, furniture of that amount of money. It was, wow. it was the first deal, and that's how I got into a previous life that I was involved in, and that was in the, in the furniture business. But the, that first deal that wow. I got was with you uh, walking into that particular building, and wow. I, I was able to, to, to go and install the, the furniture wow. <laughs> at your offices. Wow, wow. Aubrey, Aubrey that, that, that testimony uh, means a lot to me. Well, sometimes, you know, you... you you talk about supporting um, small black business people yeah. who want to cut their teeth in business. And people say, you know, just sh tell us about the real examples of people who have empowered. And sometimes I fail to even mention one or two. Why? Because uh, I don't support so that I can, I can be held, uh, I, I can drop people's names. So when you do so voluntarily, uh, unsolicited, uh, it means a lot to me. No, no, uh, uh, I, can, really I, I, I can tell you now, Mr. Zungu, that um, that moment changed my, my, my personal trajectory in terms of one, confidence, to the, the belief that I can dare believe that I can also make a meaningful contribution and add value. Uh, it was it was a clean deal. There were no silly expectations. It was done. It was executed, and boom, there it was. 
so, so, so you can take that one and put it in your hat as a feather uh, of a, a younger man that was coming to you for an opportunity. And there you gave me that opportunity. I want to talk a little bit about... I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by that testimony. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So I want to talk a little bit about your value system, how you come to a point where you're able to say, I'm going to walk away from this deal, however big it is. Now, those of us who've been watching your development as an entrepreneur are aware that there were certain times where you could have really moved into another sort of bracket of, of success in business had, had you chosen to look the other way when certain things were being done. Where does that come from? Is it religious? Is it, where does that come from? You know, when I was young, um, my father um, said something to me which was very profound. Um, he was a man of uh, uh, little intellectual dispositions. Uh, but as an African man, he had a number of anecdotes and he was uh, uh, single-mindedly determined to raise upright uh, boys into men uh, as his children. I got marked in a township at Tumlazi and I got home and I said, Dad, bad news, I got marked. And Dad says, did they hurt you? I said, no, they didn't hurt me. I said, good news. And so, good news, Dad. I know where they live. And so I said, to, I expected my dad to uh, pull a stick, get into the car, and beat the hell out of them. Because he was a kind of person. <laughs> and my dad says, um, so where did you get marked? And I described the area. He said, why did you traverse through that uh, terrain, rough terrain? He said, no, dad, I was taking a shortcut. So mm. Never take a shortcut in life. You've got a, a road through uh, houses well developed that you are familiar with. Why are you taking shortcuts? And the discussion ended there. And I've been the one to uh, expand that. Why do you have to take shortcuts? If you can afford to take the road um, that is arduous, but has got certainty <laughs> that you'll emerge unscathed at the end of that uh, chain. And so um, I've always assumed that um, that is relevant even in business. Uh, you know, main, I mean, I'm, I'm, right now, uh, I can say I'm highly connected. Um, and I'm saying that with all humility. Uh, but ask anyone, uh, whether it's President Mbegi, ask uh, President Harima Mutlante, ask President uh, Zuma, ask President Cyril uh, Ramaphosa that I've worked with and, and all others below them. I've ever uh, gone to them um, to uh, seek leverage on the networks that I have with them. And I can tell you the answer will be no. Because I've never been that the path I want to traverse. <laughs> um, and so my view is I've got these networks they stand me in good stead at most times because I can have solid conversations with those people. I maintain the goodwill because I know I never come to waste their time. I never come to extract and compromise them in any form or way. Um, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that I've got a skill. I'm happy to stick to the road less traveled. I'm happy to take a longer path to, to greatness uh, because you know, it, it's stable, um, and, you know, I can account for uh, everything that I do. I can account for every uh, penny that I make along the way. I'm very happy with that, and I'm very comfortable. I'm content. Uh, I don't need to accelerate that through an orthodox means. So, for me, it's a valid issue, uh, but also, also it's informed by my own upbringing. Mm. Uh, and religion and Christianity has got little to do with it. Mm. Mm. You, are, you ultimately go into other things, but more notably, you decide to buy Usud, the team Amazul. Was, was this purely from your love of the game, or was there 
other entrepreneurial motivations behind the buying of the team? I mean, this is one of the uh, top PSL company, I mean, um, football teams in South Africa. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? An engineer who became a serial entrepreneur decides to buy a soccer team. What was behind that thinking? Um, it was both, you know, the love for the game. Um, number two, uh, that, you know, my organization uh, could afford it and uh, could take a view that uh, they will support it um, over the long term. And it was also a, a, a conviction that it's a business. Um, and it's the latter part that really persuaded me. Uh, I'm still going to figure out how to make money out of this. Uh, <laughs> I thought uh, you would have figured that out before you bought the business. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to figure out. Um, and uh, I've figured out, but uh, let me put it this way. I'm just going to show you uh, that money can be made out of, out of uh, uh, so owning a soccer team. Uh, I've figured out, but I'm going to show you in South Africa how wealth can be created uh, through owning a soccer team. Um, and unfortunately, like all businesses, they take time. Mm. Um, you know, and I've been involved in some businesses where only 15 years later, uh, I'm able to harvest. Uh, and some businesses, only it took me nine years uh, of having started Zoom Investments Company before I got the first dividend out of that business. <laughs> and, uh, and ever since then, I've not missed, um, you know, the, the, the cycles. Um, it, it, they, they, these things take time. But yes, uh, in summary, it was love for the game. Number two, we could afford it. And number three, it's business. You know, the latter part, uh, there are many doubting Thomases, but only time will tell. Only time will tell. And time has told a very, very interesting story in your life, uh, Mr. Zungo. I want to thank you for agreeing to talk to me. I'm looking forward to shaking your hand sometime soon. Um, I had hoped that you'd be able to come to studio and come and talk to me, and then you'd remember me. But uh, uh, it's, 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 it's water under the bridge. I'm looking forward at some point soon to meet you in, in person. Uh, then you'll remember me. You'll, you'll remember me because you and I... Uh, had a, some some interesting conversations that made you decide to buy from me on that particular day. I appreciate it, sir. No, yeah, Aubrey, you have become a a, a big personality um, in your endeavours, and I wish you greater success. Uh, so I do um, acknowledge uh, you, um, and uh, thank you for reminding me about that specific incident. Um, and uh, thank you for being brave to talk about it. Uh, and it's emboldened me. Um, it's made me to be convinced that uh, when you help others, it's not in vain. By Indeed. the way, I'm also a product of other people believing in me. Indeed. So it's a, in, in a way, it's uh, fulfilling the cycle and playing my part. Thank you so much for that.